Good evening, everybody. How are you tonight? Good. Cricket, cricket, cricket. Preoccupied. No, good evening, everyone. How are you doing? Let's stand together. Welcome to the Word Community Church. It is great to have you here. Are you expecting great things? We should always come into God's throne room with expectation. Great expectation. Because he has amazing things for us always and in all ways. So let's bow our heads and hearts and thank him and just ask him to bless the time we have. Father, we are grateful for this night, Lord. A time again that we can sit at your feet. Lord, that we can take a moment to just remind ourselves, Lord, of how amazing you are. And we do so, Lord, many times through the day and in this time tonight that we get as a, a gift to us to gather together as brothers and sisters here and together lift up praise to you, together fellowship in sweet communion, Lord, and to fix our eyes upon Jesus and to hear the truth proclaimed, Lord. God, we ask for an anointing upon Pastor Frank tonight as he just again brings your word to us, Lord. Father, we just thank you for him, Lord, and just ask for your anointing that your holy word, Lord, would just touch our hearts again. Lord. And Father, we just ask for us, uh, Lord, an inclination of our hearts towards you, Lord, that we'd be leaning in and, and asking for your grace and mercy again, Lord, and just thanking you for your grace and mercy. And Lord, we just pray that there'd be just a penetrating of our hearts where it's hard, Lord, and a comforting where there may be pain and suffering, Lord God, and we know that you provide all things to us, and we thank you for those provisions, things we see and that we don't. May you be honored this night, Lord, as we celebrate in Jesus' name.
over every thought, over every word. Over every thought, over every word. May my life reflect the beauty of my Lord. You mean more to me than any earthly thing. So won't you reign in me again? Lord, reign in me. Reign in your power over all my dreams. Lord of heaven and earth, Lord of 
to the Lord of heaven and earth. Hmm. Did you look up in the sky last night? It's a pretty amazing view last night. I just learned that you can see some of the planets around the moon beyond what our eyes can see. It's all spoken by God Almighty into creation. <laughs> beyond what we could understand. Let's sing unto the Lord.
your faith in him and him alone. He is the rock on which we stand. The sovereign Lord, our deliverer, our redeemer. You are our strength, Lord. Praise your holy name, God. You are so good. I've been spit on, crumbed on. <laughs> Father, we thank you, Lord God, for, Lord God, many sweet blessings, Lord God, blessings that sometimes, Lord God, surround us. Lord God, they touch our lives and our hearts, and we're not grateful for them, Lord God. Help us to open our eyes and, Lord God, see the, the wonder, the blessings, the miracles that you do surround us with every day. We thank you, Lord God, for your presence. We thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit you've given us, who dwells in our hearts, who leads us and guides us day by day into the light. We thank you, Lord God, for all the opportunities you present before us to show your love, show your kindness, and share your word. And Father God, we just thank you and we give you all the praise tonight as we come, Lord Jesus, to sit at your feet. And Lord God, to open up our eyes, to look into your face, and open up our ears to hear your voice. And all these things, Lord God, this night we pray in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. God bless you all. You can be seated. Kids, you can go. And to be clear, for those in the back, uh, it was the baby spitting on you? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> you said you've been spit on? <laughs> yes, I think that we need to sit with him in the back. I said, when you put the kids in the front row and they're jumping around like that, nobody's looking and worshiping the Lord. They're all looking at the kid. And uh, so, Sue, from now on in the back. So how you all doing? Derek Delgado did an incredible job Sunday, right? We've got some great young preachers in our church. And um, I haven't listened yet or watched yet. I will on Friday. But uh, I just heard really sound doctrine and a powerful presentation. So you've got a, a gift, you know, a bunch of wonderful young preachers in our church. So I'm going to ask you tonight to go with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 52. I'm going to talk with you for the next few weeks. We're just going to, we just finished up the 14th chapter of Numbers. So I'm going to take you just for a couple of weeks. I want to talk to you about personal growth. And uh, this is going to be part one. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2, verse 52. Stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. Simple verse talking about Jesus. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Heavenly Father, we have a beautiful example here that has given us our typology, the very model, Lord, that you've called us, Lord God, to conform our lives to, transformed and become more and more like him, Lord. So we pray this night, Lord God, open up our hearts. May we all, Lord God, truly enter into this great adventure of growth, no matter how old, no matter how young. Lord, this great adventure that you've called us to, to grow into the image of your son, Jesus. And we pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen. So it says here, Jesus increased. The word is, is prokoptu. 
Uh, it is an important word to understand. It, it means to grow, to advance, to drive forward, uh, to make progress. Progress. Uh, the word pro, pro coptu, is again the importance of emphasizing that you know it, it is about progressing. Think about the word produce or the word promotion. Essentially, it is something that you have to put effort into to earn. It, it takes self-effort. So there, there is natural growth, and natural growth just naturally happens. Uh, a human being will grow. We will mature. We will grow old. But the word prokoptu speaks about effort. So when it's saying here Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and men, it's not just talking about a, a natural biological growth, but it actually is a growth that he poured forth effort to basically achieve. I'll show you, I'm going to use this as an illustration, Prokoptu. I want to introduce you to Bob and Bill. They're twins. They're identical twins. And Bob on the left, he puts forth no effort. He eats what he wants to eat. He spends hours in the easy chair. Natural results. He's flabby, right? He um, is a weak. Uh, and um, that is the results of not putting forth Prokoptu. His brother Bill on the right puts forth effort. He eats less, he moves more, he eats healthy food, he eats living food as compared to dead food. He exercises and chooses exercise over the easy chair. And you can see, right, he has a very different body. You see this in, in life. Well, the same thing goes spiritually. If you take a person who uh, essentially doesn't put forth effort spiritually, they don't apply the techniques, the, the disciplines that the Word of God wraps out for us, the study of his word, the meditation of his word, prayer, uh, fasting, right? fellowship, um, service, uh, acts of sacrifice, acts of, of kindness, witnessing, then that person spiritually will look like Bob. And they're a flabby people in the church, spiritually. They're weak. They're, they're flabby. They're, they're lethargic because they don't engage. Again, they don't put forth the effort to grow in the Lord. And then, again, if you, you take uh, Bill, he puts forth the effort. He's disciplined in his prayer life. He's disciplined in his service of the Lord. He's disciplined in his worship. He's disciplined in his, in his fasting, in his witnessing, in his study and meditation of the word of God. He, he is a, a strong, firm, fit Christian. So uh, against, again, what, what the word is saying there in Luke chapter 252, Jesus put forth effort. Again, he, he practiced this concept, again, of prokoptu. I want to show you, again, take you through a couple of scripture verses and give you this comparison. Philippians chapter 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not 
as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Notice the the words, work out your own salvation. We are not working for salvation, but we work out our salvation. It's talking again, when you, you, if you work out, right, you go into a gym or you go onto a track or you go for a run or an intense walk, you sweat, right? You, 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 you sweat, you, you, you heat up, it, take, it, it takes effort. And to work out, it, you must be deliberate, you must have a plan. It, it's, it's laborsome, right, the concept. Then if you look down where it says in verse 13, for it is God who works in you, it is God who is working in us to to will, to do. He is inspiring us, he's empowering us, he's motivating us, he's energizing us through his spirit. Again, one is, again, passive. God is working in you. The other, though, is, again, takes effort. It's prokoptu. It's, it's you have to work out your own salvation. The, the winged Christian, which is, they wing the line. You see this. This is very common in, in our church. Winged Christians. They're just, you know, um, God's just going to do what he's going to do. And they don't put forth, again, that prokoptu effort in growing and, you know, becoming more like Jesus. Here's another in Romans 8.29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. The word conformed is sumorphos, to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many. Sumorphos, God is conforming us to the image of Jesus. Uh, the previous verse, Romans 8.28, I think you all, you all know it, right? For all things work together for the good of those who have been called according to his purpose and who love God. The main purpose of God, okay, is not to make us happy, but to make us like Jesus. Hopefully that makes us happy when we're growing like him. But that is, you know, he, he's using all things. He's using the good, he's using the bad, and he'll use the ugly, right, to shape us and to mold us. So Sumorpho speaks really about we are like clay in the potter's hand. So are our lives in the Lord's hand. And again, Sumorphos, he, he is shaping us, he's molding us, and, and that goes, he's working in us. And, and to a great extent, that is his work, and you know, we don't necessarily have to be putting forth effort for him to be doing that. Now, if you go to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, and do not be, I want you to notice the word be, Okay, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed. It, it, that, that is speaking about you must resist the spirit of the world. You must resist. Since you're going to battle, you're going to struggle against, you're going to fight against the spirit of the world. That spirit is that which is in opposition to Jesus. That which is in opposition to the word of God. That which is in opposition to his will. You're going to be in that battle. But notice that that is speaking again of effort. 
He says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. And again, the concept is you must be transformed. This is not being passive. This is putting forth effort. This is, this is again, it takes work. It takes labor. The word metamorphos. Okay, not sumorphos, metamorphos speaks of self-effort, choice, decision, to be transformed. It takes, it takes effort, it takes work. It, it is a choice, it is a decision, and it, it is a, an action to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect, the will of God. He renews, right? He, he renews our mind. He renews our thinking. He renews our values, our, our affections, our beliefs. That is what he's doing. But we have to be, again, involved in this. We have to be putting forth effort. Again, sumorphos, God is automatically working on us. With metamorphos, this involves us cooperating with God, yielding to God, putting forth effort. Put them together. What you have is you have growth in Christlikeness. So I now just want to shift with you for a second. I want to talk to you. I know that you probably don't want to, um, to hear about him, but I want to talk about the devil for a few moments here. We have an adversary, right? A clear, a clear enemy in the devil, and in John 10.10, 10, it tells of, of him that he's a thief. And he does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy your mind, your body, your spirit. The Lord says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Right? Jesus comes to bring life. Satan comes to bring death. In Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 13, tells us a little here about him. It tells us, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in his power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, okay, the schemes, the strategies of the devil. Right? He's got schemes. He's got plans against you. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, right? Here is his hierarchy. This is his army, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Satan is not omnipresent like God is. Satan is not in all places. But what he has, he has a very well-organized army of generals and colonels and sergeants and corporals and lieutenants, foot soldiers, that they're, they're here. They're here tonight. <laughs> they're, they're with you. He's assigned, you know, one or more of them to you and to your family. And again, they, they've got strategies. They've, they've got schemes. In fact, something, let me just say this to you about the demonic realm. When Jesus cast out the legion of demons, where did they want to go? They begged him to go where? They liked to be in flesh. I think they are in more flesh than most of us realize. Even sometimes people in the church. But they are in political positions. They're in the universities. 
and people, well, why aren't they, their heads spinning around and they spitting pea soup out of their mouth? Jesus exposed demons. And so Jesus goes to the synagogue and there were people possessed in the synagogues, right? And he exposed them. So I just want to I just want to emphasize that not that we there was a church around the corner here many years ago started about the time we did did real well right right next to um, where the Dunkin Donuts used to be that that new coffee shop is is opening up uh, and that church was a thriving church and then they got heavily into deliverance and everything was a demon and I don't want to be putting that you know, out on you. Eventually, you know, everybody was looking for a demon under every Bible and under every book. Eventually, it just caused, the church had grown. It had grown to about 100 people. The church fell apart and closed, and the building was sold. I don't want to put that out, but there, there are people. There are people in high places and low places, and they are essentially inhabited by demons. So we, we, fight, we fight this fight, against these demonic realms. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, it goes on to describe again the armor. Clothe yourself with Jesus. Clothe yourself with, with, with Jesus. Another verse I'll share with you again is talking about spiritual warfare. 2 Corinthians chapter 2.11 in the New Living Translation it says, so that Satan will not outsmart us. He says, Paul says here, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. Are you? Are you familiar with his evil schemes that he brings against you? So we know, we know he, he tempts us. What he, what he tends to go for is the weak areas of our life. Do you know your weaknesses? Because that's where he will, where he will attack. He likes to use traps. He likes to ambush. Have you been ambushed? I've been ambushed once this year. I'm just totally caught off guard. Uh, he will essentially attack us or tempt us when we are alone. I don't know if you, if you find this to be true. I, you know, being idle is, I mean, that's where David, right, was tempted by the enemy to commit adultery with Bathsheba. He should have been out to battle with his men. He's home alone, and he's lusting after Bathsheba on the balcony. He will attack us, again, in our weakest point, when we're tired, when we're hungry. Frustration. I'm telling you, I'm, this is my experience I'm sharing with you here. These are the areas that I, I need to be on guard with. I, I found that I, I can't be idle. I need to be busy. I need to be, I need to be doing things. When I'm idle, all of a sudden the mind, right? All of a sudden the mind becomes open, it wanders, and he suddenly, like, like putting, putting his temptation files into my, my mind. Being, being careful not to get ambushed. He's always looking to ambush us. And so, you know, again, we, we need to be familiar with his evil schemes. Now, let me bring you back, personal growth. Luke chapter 2.52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Okay? Sumorphos, it takes, right? It is taking effort. Metamorphos. 
right? God is going to be, right, working in us, but again, it still means that we're going to have to uh, be putting forth effort. So look at what Satan wants to do. God wants us to grow like Jesus, to be conformed to his image. What does Satan want? Look at this carefully. Satan wants you to be stupid, to be ignorant, to be dumb. He wants you to be weak, physically sick, lethargic. I got sick in January. I got a stomach flu and passed out on the floor, and then I got pink eye. I think pink eye came first. All I can tell you is I was out of the game for a week or so. Wasn't here. Wasn't able to be about the Lord's business. In fact, at some point, I didn't even want to even pick up the Bible. I couldn't even see with the pink eye. I couldn't read the Bible. I'm lucky I had verses memorized. That was my devotional time and my holy hour with God. He wants you to be out of favor with God, separated, feeling distant from God, living with guilt, condemnation. And he wants you to be out of favor with men, distant, separated, isolated, at odds with people. So again, he wants you to be stupid, he wants you to be weak, he wants you to be out of favor with God and out of favor with men. (laughs) That's what he's working for in your life. Okay. So what I want to do tonight, I want to talk to you about the first two. I want to talk to you about growing in wisdom and growing in stature. And then next week on Wednesday night, I'm going to talk to you about growing in favor with God and growing in favor with men. So the first, again, personal growth is to grow in wisdom. Jesus increased in wisdom. The word Sophia in the Greek, the Hebrew word, who knows what the Hebrew word is for wisdom? Hachma. Hachma. Say that. Hachma. And Hakma, Hakma is wisdom. Hakma is special knowledge. It's the knowledge of how to live. It's used 222 times in Tanakh in the Old Testament. And the books of wisdom would be Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Uh, wisdom, okay, is, again, it, it speaks of, of practical knowledge. If you put the word Hakma in Google, guess who pops up? Me and a bunch of Jewish rabbis. I preached on Hakma for four weeks here a few years ago and went through the book of Proverbs and talked about Hakma, this specific knowledge, not general knowledge. So it's, it's, it's not the knowledge about general things. I tell people if you're going to gain great general knowledge, you go on Jeopardy and maybe you can win the $1 million prize. Right? There are things, you know, unless you're a mathematician, unless you're an engineer, geometry, trigonometry is really not going to help you to grow closer to God. It's not going to, you know, enable you to have a better marriage. It's not going to equip you to raise children. It's, it's specific knowledge. It's the knowledge about God, knowledge about salvation, knowledge about life in the spirit, knowledge of his word, knowledge of his will, knowledge of his son, knowledge on how to live a successful life in Jesus and how to navigate these crazy waters that we essentially travel through in this world successfully. Hosea chapter 4, 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. 
My people are destroyed for ignorance. My people are destroyed for stupidity. This is not um, IQ that it's talking about. Okay, uh, I use the, the word, it's, it's more W-I. It is willful ignorance. It is willfully not wanting to know the important things, the specific knowledge. People don't want to know about God. Think about that. I don't want to be bothered. I don't want to know about Jesus. I don't want to know about God. I don't want to know about salvation. Think about the ultimate consequences of that. Hell. Eternally. That, that, is, just, that is willful ignorance. So they are destroyed not from a lack of knowledge about physics or botany or geometry. It is, again, that specific knowledge. I, I use these questions, what you don't know, right? What people say, what you don't know, they say, won't hurt you. What you don't know will hurt you. What you don't know will hurt you. About the important things, what you don't know about God, what you don't know about Jesus, what you don't know about his plan of salvation, what you don't know about his word, will that will hurt you. Ignorance is, ignorance is bliss, ignorance is tragedy. Okay, when, you, when you look at people's lives where there is, is ignorance of the, again, that, that of wisdom, of the important things, they, they, their lives can be an absolute mess. Their bodies, their, their minds, their, their spiritual life. So let's talk here about how do we grow in wisdom? I mean, Proverbs gives us so many, many things. I'm going to touch on a few. First, make getting wisdom a priority. In Proverbs 4, 7, wisdom is the principal thing. The principal thing. Saying that wisdom is the most important thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. The principal thing, it's, it's the foundation. So think about, you know, if you're building a house, if the foundation is weak, if the foundation is poor, it doesn't matter how beautiful the house is. It, it doesn't matter how glorious the house is. If the foundation is weak and poor, the, the house will fall. And what it's saying here is wisdom is the foundation. What did, what did Jesus say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? He used the illustration of the man who builds his house upon a rock, the rock being his word. Right? He is the rock. He just, he just you know, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the entire Sermon on the Mount most important sermon that the Lord gave, he, he comes to the conclusion, the challenge, and he says, there was a man who built his house upon the rock, and that man is like a man who hears the word of God and puts it into practice. But there was a man who built his house on sinking sand, and he is like the man who hears the word, but he doesn't put it into practice. That's wisdom. The, the Sermon on the Mount is, the, again, the, the wisest sermon that has ever been given. It's the wisest sermon that you will find in Scripture. But again, wisdom builds the foundation, practical knowledge about God, about life, about marriage, about family, about career, about health, about money. The Bible is filled with all those things. And we should make that a, a, a priority. 
to get wisdom. Second, first things first. In Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So you say, first things first, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, with having that, that reverence for the Lord. If we, if we understand and we fear the Lord, we realize that we live in a moral universe governed by a just and moral God. All you have to do is look around you to see this. All you have to do is be a student of history and you will see this. Therefore, there are consequences for our actions. There are consequences, right? Every action has a, a reaction. So our, our decisions, our choices, our actions, our words, even our thoughts, right? What we sow, we will also reap. I think when a person comes to this understanding that, again, they live in a moral realm, we live in a moral universe, again, ruled by a moral and just God, you live more carefully. You're, you're more careful in your decisions, in your choices, in your words, and, and even in your thoughts. Proverbs 26. You know what Proverbs, Proverbs 26 is the chapter of the fool. It's one proverb after another about the fool. See, the, the, the fool essentially lives like there are no consequences. So he, he continuously, it's, it's one stupid choice after another, living with no fear of God in his life. No fear that, again, consequences will follow. And, they, of course, they hurt themselves. They, they hurt other people. It seems like trouble just follows the fool wherever he goes, and he has problems with the law. Right? He has problems in his career. He has problems in his marriage. He has problems in his family. He, he has problems in, in all the different money problems, problems with his em, em, employer. That's just there. That, it's just that's what just follows. Again, because, again, it is not first things first. And he has no fear of God. And we see people, Dante, you're a policeman. How many times a week you must be dealing with people like that? You know, through the years here as a pastor, people just, they, they just keep stepping, I mean, stepping in poop. And it's just one after another after another. And again, they, they, don't, they don't get it. Third, seek wisdom. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 4, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, seek wisdom, become a treasure hunter, become a wisdom hunter, seek wisdom, search for wisdom. Of course, the, the best place to search for wisdom is the word of God. But there are also great books that you can read and you'll learn about wisdom. Find wise people. You ever notice fools always hang around with fools? Sometimes I even see people in the church and I see them just making one dumb decision after another and then I see who they're attracted to and they're just going right to a fool. I'm like, that person's life has just been like yours. I mean, just, you know, people of wisdom, people who are wise, they, they spend time with people who are wise. They hang out with people who are wise. Birds of a feather flock together. Read the books. Be in the word. 
Be with wise people. Learn by observing. You know, Jesus, you look at how Jesus shared things and he, he observed and he, he takes just the sower sowing seed and it becomes the parable of the sower or the, the fishermen of the Sea of Galilee pulling in their net and he tells us the parable of the, the fish in the net. He observed the things. I'll tell you, I, I have learned one of the greatest wisdom lessons that I have ever learned in my life was having a garden in my backyard for a number of years. I grew everything. I grew corn, I grew potatoes, pumpkins, you know, tomatoes. In New Jersey, you can grow a tomato on con in concrete, you know, tomatoes grow. Peppers, uh, onions, I grew, I grew everything. But I, I learned, I learned so much really about life and how, you know, my spiritual life is like a garden, my marriage is a garden, my children are a garden, my grandchildren are a garden, my finances are a garden, the ministry is a garden, the church is a garden, and you know, you must till the soil, and you must plant, and you must water, and you must weed, you must nurture for it to, to, to grow. But that's just a, a, a simple lesson. That's why take time to observe. Learn, learn from the things that are going on around you. Ask questions. We see people, they're afraid. They're terrified to ask a question. And I ask questions all the time. I'm probably a pain in the neck to many people because when I find somebody who has wisdom, I start to ask questions. I, I was in the airport going. We were heading out to uh, see my daughter in Kentucky on Friday. And there was this man in front of me. And he had two teenage kids. And the kids had multicolored hair. And he had no hair. And I said to the kids jokingly, I said, did you get your hair from your dad? And that just opened up the whole thing. And they laughed and were talking. I had a hat on. I took off my hat. And then he saw that I, too, had no hair. But I, as I was talking to him, just the conversation, of course, it comes up. What do you do? And he said, I, I work for a crypto company, something I'm very interested in. <laughs> I've been involved in now for, geez, about seven years. And um, I began to pick his brain. And I'll tell you, I walked away with some gems by just simply asking questions. And I, I probed. But I will, I will do that. And I, I, will, I will ask, you know, ask questions. But that's how, these are all ways that, that wisdom will come. But you have to seek it. If you're just sitting back idly again, passively, it doesn't come to you. You must, you must pursue it. You must seek it. The next is, is pray for wisdom. James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. So we pray. When we pray, we always pray in Jesus' name. That's in his account because you don't have an account. You're bankrupt. I'm bankrupt. So when we pray, it's always on Jesus' account. That's what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. And then when we pray, we need to pray according to his will. Is asking for wisdom according to his will. Obviously, right? Look at what we read in just James chapter 1, verse 5. 
And when we pray, we need to believe. And that's what James is saying here. When you ask, you can't doubt. If you're going to ask God for wisdom, you have to believe that he is going to give it to you. And it may not just be somehow miraculously that he gives you wisdom into your mind. It may be a number of wisdom lessons that he is going to teach you as you go through the day and reveal a word of wisdom from the scripture or a word of wisdom from a person, or a word of wisdom from a book, or a word of wisdom from a life lesson. And you need to pray persistently. I prayed for wisdom once 20 years ago, and I'm wondering why I didn't get it. Well, I pray for wisdom every day. I pray for wisdom every day. And then... I want to look at what the Lord is going to impart to me and teach me as I go through the day. The next is the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom from Psalm 19.7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The testimony of the Lord. That's the word of God. I'll tell you a, a great thing that I learned many years ago. A chapter of Proverbs a day keeps stupidity away. (laughs) I read a chapter every day. And then at the end of the month, when I'm done, I go back and I start over again. A chapter of Proverbs. But when you read the word, you, you need, you know, it's like eating food. You need to take it and you need to chew on it. And then you need to swallow it. And then you need to digest it. And then you need to assimilate it. And that is, I think, something key in in reading the word of God. People read the word of God. They forgot what they read, you know, within moments of putting it it down. I think there's, there's a lot of things that I do. When God gives to me a key word of wisdom from the scripture, so here is my... This is my morning devotional, which I just finished. I am color-coding the entire book of Proverbs. And each one of those many colors represents, there's, there's a color for discipline, there's a color for wisdom, there's a color for the tongue, there's a color for the sovereignty of God. And I'm going through and I'm color-coding it. But when God reveals a key word to me, I want to take it. So I I will frequently make notes next to it, or again, I will color code it, and then I will come back the next day for that word. It may be one proverb in the entire book, or it may be a couple of, of, a a, a paragraph in another book, but I'll review it. And then as I go through the week, I focus on those key things that God has revealed to me, and then on Sunday, I review them all. And Sunday is a review. I, I will frequently take them too. I transfer the key things that God is teaching me into, I call it my success journal. And it is a big notebook where I have all of these key things. And that's why I want to take those things and I want to put them into practice. I'm a a practitioner. I don't want to just be, I see see so many people, they can learn something and then they forget it. Something comes to them and again, it's one ear and out the other. They they look at it and they forget it. I don't want to be like that. I I want to apply it. In, In John, Jesus said, John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Abide, remain. I want to retain the word. I want want to retain it. I want to retain key truths that, that come to me. Review them. 
memorize them, write them down. You know, I use a day timer. I use my MacBook notes. I don't want to let it get away. You put a bunch of those things together and they can totally transform a life. Uh, next, learn from mistakes. In Proverbs 26, 11, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. And you understand this, everyone makes mistakes. To be human is to, is to make mistakes. We're, 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 none of us are above mistakes. But the difference between the wise and the foolish is that wise people learn the lessons from their mistakes, and the fool does not. The fool rushes back. See, the fool goes back, and he basically returns to his vomit. They just keep repeating them. I want to share this little poem of wisdom. Again, something I captured when I was reading a book many years ago. It says this, I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes me a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It's my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walked around it. Chapter 5, I walk down another street. Written by Portia Nelson. That's learning from your mistakes. Jesus increased in wisdom. Remember this. The enemy wants you to be stupid. God wants you to grow in wisdom. I'm going to go on. I'm going to talk to you about personal growth. You'll have personal time for prayer at the end of this, uh, this next section. So number two is, is stature. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. He matured physically as a man to 33 years old. But Jesus was physically strong and Jesus had tremendous endurance. So did he join the gym in Jerusalem? No. Did he sign up for the triathlon? No. But what did he do? First of all, he was a, a carpenter, a tecton. And a tecton didn't merely build chairs. He built houses. He built bridges. But there were no, no gas-powered engines and when you built a house, that the homes were not made of wood. The homes were made of stone. So he was, a, again, a tecton. He was a house builder. He would lift those stones, carry those stones, and then work the mortar to build a, a house. Essentially, if you've ever seen a bricklayer, remember, I don't know if you remember, and Lenny would remember, the Cifarellis who built this place, and they're, they're bricklayers, they're, they're lean, they're muscular, their hands are very strong, they have muscular forearms, muscular arms, strong backs. You can see, right, remember those guys, they're just little, little muscle men from lifting those, those stones and working in a mortar. This is what Jesus did. Again, when he had to cut down a tree, he used a handsaw, not a, a, a steel chainsaw. There, there were no 
hammer guns. He used a hammer. Could you imagine? You ever see again, you get the carpenters in here. Connie, Diane's husband, feel his hands and his forearm. How, how strong, right, they are. There were no cars. He walked everywhere. Everywhere. But he grew. He grew in stature. He, he was physically strong and really strong right to the end of dying on the cross. And he had, he had great endurance. Again, Satan wants you weak. Satan wants you sickly. Satan wants you in a place where you can't do God's work. See, people, I'm just too tired. See, kids in our church, I'm too tired. I'm too tired. Can't come out, you know, I'm too tired. I'm tired of hearing it through many years. But that's exactly Satan's got you right where he wants you. Tired, lethargic, and weak. Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24-27, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win the prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should do. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what I do. I just want to say this, and this may be cutting to people here. Many people, their body disciplines them. Their body tells them, right, what to eat. Their, their body tells them what to do. Their body tells them, you know, when to move or not to move. But just, I, I refuse, and you know this, to allow my body to be my dictator. And that, that goes not just with exercise or food sexually. I, ref I refuse to yield. This, this thing, if I yield to it, let me tell you, it will, I mean, you see people who yield to it, it will destroy you. The appetites, and that goes for appetites for, for food and junk food, for laziness, and for sex, for sexual pleasure. It will totally destroy you. It will, it will destroy you. And did I say that it will destroy you? Yeah, and I've, we, we see that. Hey, I had a professor in college. This was in Bible college. He was 375 pounds. And he used to, every class, this was teaching a theology class or a pastoral counseling class, and he would just harp on, right, alcohol, 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 and Christians should not drink alcohol. Christians should not be around alcohol. A Christian, you know, could never drink alcohol. And I would look at him and say, well, you missed a lot of the verses that talk about gluttony. Because you will find more verses on gluttony than alcohol. And I, I think he was, you know, he was missing a, a point with that. I mean, obviously, the abuse of alcohol is, is, is dangerous and damaging. It kills people. And, I mean, Dante, again, how many accidents do you see on the road? DWIs, people crashing into other people. And uh, it's, it's a horrible thing. But, again, that's 
I'm not saying the whole thing. You have a you have a major problem with obviously eating too much food and probably too much junk food. But again, he was controlled by his body. The alcoholic is controlled by the alcohol and his desire, his bodily desire for the alcohol. But I, Paul says again, I discipline my body. Satan wants us not to discipline our bodies. He wants our bodies to discipline us, and he wants us to be weak and sick. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Right? Spiritual training is good. Working out. I work out every morning, and that's an hour to two hours every day, seven days a week. I work out. Physical training is good, but it's not as good as spiritual training. So I do my spiritual training first, and then I do my physical training. But it's good. It's good to do that. So again, Jesus, right, he, he grew and increased in stature as well as in wisdom. He grew physically. He grew physically strong for the great task that awaited him. Three and a half years of ministry of going from Galilee through the Decapolis, right, through Samaria to Jerusalem, back to the Galilee, and back and back and forth, and back and then ultimately up to Jerusalem to go to the cross and die for us. And if, we, if we're not, again, taking care of this, Look, I understand and I've seen some great old saints who became very immobile and they would pray. God bless them. They would spend hours in prayer and they knew they were praying for me and I knew they were praying for this ministry. And that, that, that's good. But you know what? They, they were not as effective. God was using them. But had they maybe done a better job of taking care of the temple, just look, Charles Stanley just died at 90, still preaching. Right, Chuck Smith, he died, I think it was at 83, still preaching up until the day he died. And that, that, that can't happen unless, you, you know, again, you're, you're taking care of this thing. So I think it was an important lesson. Jesus, right, his will for us is to grow, to, for us to be strong, for us to be well. The devil's goal is for us to be weak and sickly. So in, in, in final note, again, Luke 2.52, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. We'll get into favor with God and favor with men next week. But I think the important thing to walk away with today is the concept you must be willing to put forth effort. Prokoptu. Put forth effort to grow in wisdom, put forth effort to grow in, in, in stature and to increase in those things. And it's something you have to, you have to work on. And finish the race strong, amen? So what I, what I would like to do, Lenny, I'm not gonna bring up the worship team. I just want to encourage you, just private prayer tonight, silent prayer. Just get alone, you may wanna do it here at the altar. Just break away from, don't be talking to each other. Okay, there's a lot of talk. We, we pray for five minutes. Can't we pray for 15, 20 minutes? We pray for five minutes and then we're chatting about our, you know, our day. Just have a quiet time with God and look at yourself, evaluate yourself, evaluate the way you're living. Ask the Holy Spirit to come as your counselor and, um, and counsel with you. And just be looking, say, okay, you know, how am I doing growing in wisdom? 
Do I really hunger for wisdom? Am I seeking it? Am I, am I living with the fear of God? And then, and then ask yourself too, am I managing this temple, taking care of it? Because I want it to be able to be used, right? Up until the time he calls me home. So just take time and let the Holy Spirit speak to your hearts. Father, I just pray, Lord, that we just bow our lives before you on this night, humble ourselves before you, and just pray, Lord, teach us, diagnose, Lord, counsel us in these things. I pray, Lord God, we walk out of here different than we came in tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.